And last year, I don't know if you remember, uh, the dates were uh, on the 23rd of June, 12 Thai boys and their coach had gone down uh, exploring the caves. And as they were exploring the caves, uh, this uh, huge storm comes. And the next thing they know, the caves are flooded and the boys are trapped. Uh, and between the 23rd of June and the 2nd of July, these boys were in the dark, underground, on their own with the coach, lost for dead. They were buried under the earth. There was no hope. Uh, they didn't know if they would be found or not. As far as they were concerned, they were goners. But then there was this British um, kind of deep sea diver that goes down. And on the uh, literally on the 2nd of July, uh, goes down with one torch and swims through the caves and eventually finds the boys and is able to give them this one torch, this one light. Uh, and on the 2nd of July, they were found. Uh, but it took a whole eight days later before the boys were actually fully saved. So although they were found and they knew salvation, it wasn't for eight days before they actually saw the sun again. And they lived for eight days between this place of being found, but still buried under the earth. And then eight days later, they actually saw the sun. And it's a little bit like us in that Christ has come. Uh, Christ has brought the light. He's brought the light into the world. We are saved. We've been, we've been tracked down. God has found us. But we're still in this time where uh, it's not all fully complete. That we're still waiting for the, the end days when Jesus will come and all things will be completed. So we are saved, but we're in the process of still being saved. Does that make sense? And because we live between these two dates, between Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, and his second coming, we're left in this dark time where it's like we're underground. There's like there's one glimmer of light. There's the truth of the gospel. That's all we've got. And that's all we've got to cling on to. And 2,000 years have passed. And we've still, we're still in this place where we feel buried underground. So we're lost underground. But God is in the business of redeeming and restoring. Now, Rucker has just, Rucker has just walked through the door, which is perfect timing. I've asked him to, um, it's, it's this incredible little poem this morning. And I said, would he, he'd gone for dinner with his mum. And I said, could you get back from your dinner with your mum to come and share this uh, with us? Are you, are you, are you psyched? Yeah. So Rocker is a, is a poet, just spoken word poetry. Some are amazing and some are just tremendous. Thank you. And uh, he purposefully asked me this morning to say that this has a PG rating on it because uh, of the content. But it's not half as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah. Go for it. Thank you, Chris. Right, it's called Deep. Yeah? I would like the lyrical context of what I speak to be deep give you something to think about before you go to sleep. I don't know what lies ahead in this life that I lead. I've had to slow down because I was going at some speed. Running around chasing women, taking class A. For years my body absorbed narcotic substances. Something had to give way. I should have known my mind was delicate. Never took much to get me high. Take two lugs of a crack spliff and my mind would be in the sky. Snorted cocaine through a tenner. Took 10 E's in one night. One thing I never did was inhale crack through the pipe. 
can't forget the bad trip on acid that gave me one hell of a fright. I'm not advocating the use of drugs because no, that would not be right. After so much overindulgence, I think I've finally seen the light. You're probably wondering where this is leading while I'm giving you this history. I'm just wondering why I started taking drugs. The whole thing's a mystery. Now, please listen carefully as I switch from verse to verse. There was a period in my life when I thought that I was cursed. <clears throat> life can be kind of crazy when you sit down and think. Ever harness certain thoughts that could leave you on the brink of a madness, psychosis, or the thoughts as real as they seem? Or am I having a nightmare, a dream? Ever felt confused, your mind feeling abused, absorbing unbalanced views, feeling you have to spread the news? But the news I'm spreading don't make sense. My friends, they don't understand. They look at me so helpless if I'm sinking in quicksand. My thoughts, they are racing. But to me, it all makes sense. The consumption of the weed only made my thoughts more dense. Alone with my thoughts, I dwell on the past, remembering a time when life was a blast. Habits I've acquired can be hard to break, even though I know it's my sanity at stake. Thoughts are binging on class A narcotics. The reality is it could leave me psychotic. One thought revolves around when my mind goes astray. I wonder if the psychosis was really here to stay. With God by my side, I knew it was just a phase, a personal message to make me change my ways. Thank you. We'll try any mad thing if it makes us feel better about ourselves. What I love about Aroka's uh, poetry is it's predominantly about here are all the things I tried to make myself feel better or feel well. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's only God that has made you well. And what I love about his poetry is just the honesty of trying lots of stuff. So the uh, talk this evening uh, is called How to Be Happy and Find True Contentment as we live between these two uh, Jesus has died and ascended, and now we're waiting for Christ to come. And over 2,000 years, as a society, we've become lost. Uh, we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten what God has done. And we're seeking out all other means necessary to make ourselves feel good. So the goal of modern life is to be happy. I came across a whole bunch of websites uh, a couple of years ago about the role of a parent is to help bring your children so they are happy. But the, the reality is, if I let my son do everything he wanted to do to make himself feel happy, uh, he would actually be incredibly angry. All Isaac wants to do all day is sit playing this game called Fortnite. Uh, well, you don't kill anybody, you eliminate them. And uh, if he plays that for an hour, he is in such a bad mood. And sometimes the things that we think will bring contentment actually end up becoming things that bring destruction in our lives. So what's happened in society, we've created this God called happiness. And we've told ourselves that if we, we um, worship this God called happiness, this God will give us everything that we need. But this God uh, only ever makes us miserable because the God of happiness is telling us we always need the extra new thing. We're never content with happiness. There's always something else that needs adding in. So happiness is a goal that is always shifting and is always moving. And the God of happiness says this, you will be happy when you have a beautiful family. You'll be happy when you get a pay rise. You'll be happy when you have health in your life. You'll be happy when you go on holiday. You'll be happy when you get married. You'll be happy when you have been shopping. You'll be happy when you've got those new shoes. You'll be happy when you have those thousand followers 
Uh, you'll be happy when, and the list goes on and on and on. The reality is the God of happiness is a liar. Because the God of happiness says, if you can get to this point, you'll be happy. And the moment you get there, the God of happiness shifts the goalposts again. And you just need more and more and more to make yourself feel happy. Friends, you'll never be happy when you desire this romanticized idea of life, when there's always something else. So the truth is, as a society, we are deeply unhappy. You know, suicide in our nation has risen by 67% in the last 10 years, particularly in young adults. Suicide has risen. There's no, no point in human history when we, as our nation, have been more wealthy, more secure, and more safe. There's no point in human history where we as a people have had as much as we are, we have. And if you uh, own your own TV and own your own car, you're in the top 2.5% on planet Earth wealth-wise. Uh, we are one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, yet we are deeply unhappy. We are not content with the way we look, with the way that we feel, with what we have. Uh, so we just are seeking out other things. We end up with a hole in the depth of our being, which we simply cannot make content and happy. The more we want and consume, the more we realize we are simply not um, fully happy deep down with what we have. And suicide is most likely, so the people who are most likely to commit suicide are three people groups. Uh, those um, involved with uh, drugs, uh, those who are in deep debt, and the wealthiest in the world. Uh, they're the three groups of people that are most likely to commit suicide. Now, you might say to yourself, how, if you are so wealthy, you've got everything you could possibly need at your fingertips, how can you be suicidal? But the reality is we know one of the largest groups who do commit suicide are some of the wealthiest people on the planet. Wealth does not equate to happiness. As a society, we have never been so wealthy. At the same time, we've never been so miserable. Never been so miserable. So uh, the busiest place uh, in Tower Hamlets on a Sunday is Westfield Shopping Centre. Uh, that has become the temple that people flock to to find happiness and content, while at the same time the churches are quiet. People are seeking out happiness in the wrong places. Now you might say, I love my family. My family bring me happiness. You might say, my kids or my cousins or my nephews or my nieces bring me happiness. You might say spending time in creation makes me happy. But at the same time, we have to be honest and say at some point in our lives, those things will always be robbed from us. They will either be robbed, they will die, or they'll get lost. At some point, the things that we think make us happy will actually leave us feeling deeply unhappy. I'd love you to just turn to the person next to you for a minute. Uh, I'd love you to share honestly with them uh, when you were growing up, what was the one thing you desperately wanted that when you got it, you realized it wasn't very good? Didn't actually fulfill your heart's desires. So just turn to the person next to you, share the things that you as a kid, you really wanted that you realized were just not going to fulfill you. Okay, let's, let's just hear about some of these things that you, you really wanted as a kid. I don't know what you said, but it sounded funny. Okay, what was it for you? Pokemon. 
Pokemon cards. And they're quite expensive, like six quid for a pack of, of nothing. Go on. Disneyland in America. I wanted to go there, and I thought if I go there, then yeah. You'd be happy and content. Yeah. And what happened? I didn't go. You never went? <laughs> oh, right. Oh, go on. We said clothing that we buy now, we buy, and then we wear it, and we're like, nah, this isn't. Not it's not a kid thing, but yeah. No, it's good. Yeah? I always wanted to be an adult, but it would be so nice to, you know, get letters from the council where you can fill in forms and you can decide what you buy and when you go to bed and you don't have to go to school. And then being an adult, I'm thinking, oh, childhood was so nice. You honestly wanted forms to fill in? No way. And I remember going to Hornsey with my mum and dad. We went into, into Woolies and I saw this helicopter that you would attach to your light fitting and then it would fly around the room on this string. And I wanted it and uh, my parents said I couldn't have it. And I ended up having this whole meltdown in, uh, I don't I must have been six or something, this whole meltdown in Woolies, kicking and screaming. I was going mental. They said I couldn't have it. Um, and then six days later at the end of the holiday, my dad took me back and he bought me the helicopter I got it home, I attached it to the light, it flew around for like two minutes and then it tangled up and it never got played with ever again. Uh, you know, sometimes there are things that you, you romanticise in your mind, if I had, then I'll be happy. What makes us unhappy is what we know is really inside of us. What makes us unhappy is what we really know is inside of us. If we are honest, we know we aren't fully well in our souls. We're completely honest with ourselves. We are looking for a fix in other things, consumerism and safety and stability. We're looking for things to make us feel well. And if we are honest with ourselves, we don't feel well. Um, happiness is what you build your life on and not what you build your life from. I have got friends on Facebook who seek out building their life on, on uh, what they can kind of get their hands on. There's, I don't know about you guys, but I seem to find a lot of my friends where there's like, uh, oh, I've got this, no, I've got this, and I've got this, like a like competition. I don't know if it's because I grew up in this little mining village where everybody felt they got nothing, so life becomes a bit of a competition. Um, and so it's this competition of what, what I've built for myself with my life. But actually, happiness is not found in the things that you build up. True happiness is found on the foundation of which you stand on. True happiness is being content in your own skin, at peace with yourself, the world, and ultimately God. When you're not at peace, you will never be happy. You will never be happy. If you are angry with another human being, you will not be happy. You'll be cross and uh, bitter inside. When you know you're not at peace with God, you are anxious and worried that one day he might get you, that this cosmic headmaster is out to trip you up. But when we're at peace with each other, the planet and God, then we know that we're safe, we're content, and we're happy that we have everything we need. And this is what the Easter story is about. We were out of sync with God. We were out of sync with each other. We're told that we were not living in peace with God. The word is shalom, this, this wholeness. We were not living in peace with each other and God. And Jesus comes 
not that we might feel bad about ourselves, but that he might bring us back to this place where we're living at peace with each other and with God. The heart of the Christian faith is a God that wants to bring us security, happiness, and joy, not in stuff, but in this solid foundation that we can only find in Jesus. And you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? There's two ways of living your life. You can build your life on stuff that will disappear, that will be stolen from you, robbed from you, taken from you, and be burned. He says, some of you are building your lives on sand. And when the storm comes, it's going to wash away. It's, there's no content to it. But then there's those who build their life on the solid rock, which is Jesus and his teaching. So Jesus knew and taught this, this, this stuff right in the Sermon on the Mount, that he is this firm foundation that everything else will come away and be washed away. Happiness is what you build your life on and not what you build your life from. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief, the evil one, the thief comes only to steal to kill and to destroy. You could say it like this, take away your happiness, your contentment, your dreams. The thief wants to rob you of joy, Jesus says, John 10, 10. Then he goes on to say, I have come, Jesus has come, that you may have life and have it to the full or have it to the overflow. uh, In other words, Jesus has come that you may have life, the richest, deepest contentment filled with joy. The thief wants to come and leave you disconnected with God, disconnected with each other. The thief wants to come and take away your happiness, your contentment, and your dreams. He wants to rob you of joy. That's what the evil one wants to do. And what Jesus comes to do is the complete opposite. I have come that you may have life, the richest, deepest contentment filled with joy. That's what Jesus comes to do. The devil is a liar. The thief is a liar. And the thief tells us, I can give you everything you need quickly and as a quick fix. And sells us all these shortcuts to contentment. And he tells us that God is a liar. And tells us that God isn't going to give us what we need unless we earn it. And the whole thing gets flipped upside down and confused. The devil is a liar. God is the one who comes to bring peace and security. John 3.16, most of us will probably know some of it off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we wouldn't perish, but that we would have eternal life. Um, I'm going to read it, but I'm, I'm, I've, um, I've kind of translated it a little bit into Chris Rogers' English rather than Bible English. Um, so I kind of want to just explain it as we go through. So John 3.16 says this. So God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, that whoever accepts Jesus will not be left with a hole in the depths of their being would not be living life lost in the dark, will not be living life in pain of past choices, will not be living life with disappointments, will not be discontent. Jesus comes to the whole, the longing in us, that sense of insecurity in us would not be there. Then he says, but Jesus has come uh, that we might uh, have a happy life, content and everlasting life based on or built on Jesus. You know that bit where it says, um, I've come not to, uh, for God's sake of the world that gave his only son, that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The word eternal life there is actually this unending, never-ending security only found in God. When we think of eternal, we think of a piece of string or something or time that's never-ending. But actually, eternal just doesn't mean never, just never-ending. 
It's also a deep and rich and wide life. It's like a life on caffeine, a life filled with color, a, vi a life of vitality. And so eternal isn't just a long life, but it's a life that's deep and rich and wide and secure. So three things. I've got just three things. Three things that will help you be happy and more content with your life. Number one, let go of any sense of being entitled. Some of us have got this idea in us that we are entitled to everything. We think that everything should be ours. Everything should be at our fingertips. Everything should be done when I want it, when I say. We're entitled. We have, we have a society of people who feel entitled. And the reason of that is we essentially have made ourselves the king on the throne of our lives. And because we think we're the king, we're the ruler of our life, we think we can have anything we want whenever we want it. We click our fingers and the servant should bring it for us. We have this sense of entitlement. And then when we don't get what we think we deserve, we become miserable, we become frustrated, we become disconnected, and we start to have suicidal thoughts. Because my life does not have what I think I deserve. So my, my one first tip in feeling happy and content would be this. Let go of any sense of being entitled this belief that you deserve something. Whenever we place ourselves as the king of our lives, we'll think we're entitled to everything. We don't need everything. We need to be at peace. I love this line. Um, this is in Mark 8. Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to be my disciples, he said, uh, die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, come to the end of yourself. Uh, if you want to live a life fulfilled with God, then pick up your cross Die to yourself that you might join Jesus in what he is doing. Die to this idea that you're entitled to stuff. My second point would be this. Accept that you're accepted by God. Just accept that you're accepted by God. Romans 15, 7 says this. Accept one another as Jesus has accepted you in order to bring glory and praise to God. Accept one another as Jesus has accepted you. Friends, you are accepted by God. You're accepted because of what he did on the cross. You are accepted because you are loved. You are okay. You are loved. You are enough. You are accepted. If we can live in a place where we know truly that we don't have to watch our backs all the time, could God at any moment be out to get me? When we can live in a place where we know we're accepted by God, we can chillax, we can relax, we can say, I don't need to worry anymore that I'm going to get caught or I'm going to get busted. We, we're always watching over our backs. If we, if, we, if we feel we're not good enough, we will always be aiming to try and find a quick fix to make our lives feel better because we don't feel good enough. But when we can come to that content place when we know that you and I are good enough as we are, then we don't need to go hunting down and seeking out the new thing, because we know we're all right. I've got everything I need, which means we can enjoy what we've got. And if we do end up with something else down the line that's good, we can celebrate it, but we're not basing our life on it because our life isn't based on what we get. It's based on him. Does that make sense? Um, and then my final point would be this. Third point would be lavish grace on others. When you see yourself as the center of your life, it's about you um, trying to make your life feel better. You, it's about what you can get your hands on as quick as we can, keeping all that we have securely. 
But when we come to realize that we're accepted, that we're okay, that we are enough, and that we're not entitled because it's Jesus who's entitled to the praise and the glory, what we're able to do then is accept the grace that God has given us. We can enjoy the grace and the gifts that God has given us. And because we know they are gifts, we can start to turn our lives to point outwards. And as we start to point our lives outwards, we start to find that we're much happier with life because it's not about me anymore. It's about others and sharing what I have with others. And in that place, the more generous we become, the more happy we are. Some of the most generous people I know are the most happy and content that uh, they are. In fact, I'll tell you this. I've got a friend called John. He, he is a millionaire. He was, he was a millionaire when he was 21, uh, just over 20. He made an investment that really paid off. And I have not met a single human being more generous than this guy. He gives away without people knowing it's him that's given it away. And he no longer lives in his house that was worth about two and a half million. He sold it and he's basically given it all away. Now lives in a little house in Oxford. And if you said to John, when were you the most happy? When you lived in Harrow, in that super nice house with the bidet and the sauna, which he did have, by the way, or now in Oxford, in your smaller little house, when, when are you most content? He was saying now, because he's found such joy. I watched this guy give uh, keys to, he had a Mercedes, a gold Mercedes. I mean, who buys a gold car to start with? But gold Mercedes. And he saw his family come into the, the car park and somebody had driven into their car and uh, their car was a total write-off and they lived on, the, on a council estate about 17 minutes away from the church. There's no way they could afford to replace their car. And he took out his car keys and he gave them these car keys and he said, the car's yours. Can you imagine? They drove onto their estate riding in a gold Mercedes. He's never been more happier in his generosity because he knows he's found contentment, not in what he possesses or the size of his B-Day, but in the fact that he is loved and accepted by God. When we're able to lavish grace and gifts and mercy on others, we find true contentment and happiness because we start to model the gift of Easter. We start to model this gift of a God who gives up the throne of heaven to come to earth so that we may be able to be brought into peace with him, so that we may be accepted by him as we are, so that we can live content and happy lives. When we point our life towards others, then we can be happy and content. Our acceptance in God means that we now can live with joy in our lives. And therefore, God has modeled real contentment on us, so we get to do the same with others. And this is what brings us happiness. Knowing that we're accepted, uh, that we're fine as we are, and that we can now be generous to others. The Easter story, the incredible story, isn't just a story that is meant to be there to save us. It's now meant to be a way of life for us. The way that we find true happiness and true contentment isn't just to receive what God has done for us at Easter, but as we start to be people who live out Easter. Once we start living out Easter, then we'll truly be happy. It's only when we start to practice the resurrection. I love that line in the morning liturgy when it says, send us out the power of your spirit to live and work your praise and glory. It's one thing the Anglican church has done well is that line in liturgy. Send us out the power of your spirit to live and work to your praises and your glory. We're sent out by the spirit to practice Easter every single day. 
God has given us something that we now model and can live out together. So I'm about to end. We will be happy when we know that God is on our side, that he's done everything needed to bring us into peace with him. And what now will bring you peace is to make peace with those around you and with him. We don't need more. We just need God as our solid foundation, the thing that we build our lives on. Shall we pray? Shall we pray? Father, our sick society wants to tell us we need more. That we need uh, financial security. We need to look like people in the glossy magazines. That we'll be happy when we've got the holiday or the new product. But Father, we know that actually we've we've been lied to. And true happiness is not found in all of those things. Our happiness is truly found in being at peace with you because of Jesus on the cross. Father, Jesus promised us that my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give peace as the world does. Father, we thank you that Jesus comes to bring shalom and peace to each of us on the cross. That we would now be at peace with him so we can live peaceful lives with one another. Happy, content and joyful in the knowledge that we are safe in you. So Lord, would you help us to not just receive this Easter story, but to be it. Lord, each day would we be generous Would we give away? Would we model acceptance to others? Would we live lives where we're not behaving as if we're entitled, but living lives as people who are blessed? And we pray that in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Bands are going to lead us in a couple of... uh,